Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... They would love people, knowing the Word of God, and figuring out the difference between helping people and enabling people. So what do we have here? Between verse 9 to 11 and what we have here, we have the Bible's responsibility and obligation for Christians to pray for one another. It is an obligation. It is a responsibility. Paul says, I do it for you, and I expect you to do it for me. People say, how can you pray for me? I don't need prayer. I don't need prayer. This guy's an apostle and he needs prayer. In today's message, Pastor Jim will be teaching about the importance of prayer. Paul had a joyful perspective during his time in jail because the Philippians were praying for him. We will learn about the importance of lifting up our brothers and sisters in prayer. It is our responsibility to pray for one another and not only in simply giving God our wish list, but really praying for people to fall deeper in love with God and for their godliness as well as asking others to pray for us. We all need prayers. Now let's open our Bibles and join Pastor Jim for part two of his message entitled, Joyful Perspective. We'll have more information about the church and how you can get a copy of today's message. But for now, here's Pastor Jim. Tom Wolfe in the 1970s wrote this about the baby boomers. He called, I'm a baby boomer, uh, he called us the me generation, right? He was way off. That was the beginning of the me generation. It has gotten so much worse. But if the church, if Christians let culture shape us, we are pitiful people. We're miserable because we're trying to then fit Christianity into everything else. This explains miserable Christians. A lot of people think that Christians are miserable. (laughs) I love this. Please, I don't mean anything by this, but I love the fact that our churches, for this area of New Jersey. We're fairly multicultural and multi-generational. But I like going to churches like in the city where I look very different than a lot of the other people and just listening to them sing because they're convinced Jesus is alive. I love it. They're, they're, just, they're like, wow, man, he's alive. He's alive, right? And they look at people like me like, he's alive, right? Because <laughs> so, I'm just so reserved and so ridiculously reserved sometimes. But if our culture is driving us to everything that we have to have and we don't have it, we're going to be what? Miserable. We're going to be miserable. What power will our Christianity have? Absolutely nothing. Over and over we're talking about that Christians need to be loving people. Well, if I only love myself, how loving am I going to be? I will be striking out at the world's view of things and striking out at God's view of things. This is why the prosperity gospel has taken such root in our land. Because if it's always about being healthy and wealthy, that's about me. That's why it appeals to people when it's just a false gospel. Where do you see that in the Bible? You don't see the Apostle Paul going, hey, listen, I know that this will turn out for my health and my wealth. Not at all. He says it's going to turn out for my deliverance. That's why these personal passages are typically skipped. People oh, we don't need to read that. But this is a guy telling you, this is how I look at life. 
This is how I can tell you that I can sit in a jail cell and I can be full of joy because I'm identifying with my Savior. Listen to this bizarre statement. This is bizarre. 2 Corinthians 6.10, the Apostle Paul says this, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. I mean, that's oil and water, right? It just doesn't mix. This guy has a life so full of pain, but he says that he rejoices. Why? Because he identifies with Christ. He identifies with the Jesus Christ of the Gospels, not the Jesus Christ of other religions, and suffering has actually brought him closer to Jesus. Remember we talked about that last time. Don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your suffering. Let God use it to bring you closer to the Lord. And so knowing about the life, the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will only learn that through reading your Bible, not watching the Discovery Channel. Knowing about his life, death, resurrection, the Apostle Paul is optimistic of his deliverance whether he's freed from prison or Caesar says, off with his head. How dare he go telling other people there's another king other than me? He says, either way, I'm fine. Either way, I'm delivered. You know what he actually believes? We read it, verse 6. He actually believes that he who began a good work in you will complete it. He actually, he's applying it. He wrote to the Romans, Romans 8, 28, that God works together all things together for good, not in spite of all the difficulty, but he works it all together for good for those who love him and called according to his purpose. You know, he wrote that, he actually believes it. I know some of you think like, I wish I was a pastor because it would be easy. I would just get up there and talk and I would believe everything I say. Do you know how often I say things and I sense this little voice going, you should listen to that. Get a copy of the message. <laughs> like we said before, we think it's easier for the people in the Bible. Oh, listen, hey, it's easy for him. You know, he's an apostle, he's in jail. What's the big deal? You know, husbands, what do you do when you get a little cut? Honey, I need a Band-Aid. That's what we do. He has such a different perspective. He doesn't fear the outcome. Who does he fear? The Lord. He doesn't fear the outcome. He actually believes God can handle it. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you doubt God can handle your problems? We all do, right? That's part of being unbelieving believers. We struggle with our problems. Do you believe God is in control? Well, yeah, it sounds good coming out of your mouth, right? You tell your friends, oh, God is in control. (laughs) Sounds so spiritual. Then somebody says it to you and you want to punch their lights out. Why? Because we don't believe it. He believed that God was with him. We were just singing about it, weren't we? We were just singing about it. He believes God will strengthen him. He believes all of the things that we sing about. Aren't you thankful that Jesus doesn't walk up and down the road telling us who can sing and who can't? You can't sing that song. You don't believe that. Keep your finger in Philippians 1 and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, page 1058. 2 Timothy is the apostle's last letter. We're going to see next week, he's really not entirely sure what's going to go down with the Philippian letter. He thinks he's going to go back. He thinks he's going to live through this one. But in 2 Timothy 4, he's like, this is it. This is it. 
often called his swan song, his last letter. And look at one of the last things he writes, verse 17. He says this. He writes to Timothy. Listen, he knows this. Why did he write this? So Timothy would be encouraged. And also who would be encouraged? You. Elbow your neighbor. You. (laughs) Right? But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's how a man has joyful perspective and pressure. He stands on the word of God and believes what God will do what he said, despite what it might look like. Number two, Joyful perspective in prayer. We're still in verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. We just covered that. And then he makes a very interesting and, in my opinion, countercultural statement. He says, through your prayer. Now, you say, well, yeah, okay, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray, and, you know, God's going to fix things. But remember, he's writing a letter to a church. He said, God is going to deliver me because you, Philippian church, are praying for me. You see, the Apostle Paul does not see himself as Tom Hanks in Castaway. He doesn't see himself as some guy alone on an island, weathering the storms of life by himself. Now, why doesn't he see himself that way? Because that's not the Christian life. People say to me all the time, well, I can be a Christian without belonging to a church. I always say, how's that? How's that? Because there are so many one and others, there are so many obligations, there are so many responsibilities that you and I have to one another that are in the Bible that we can't unless we're part of a church. The Apostle Paul constantly asks other people to pray for him. He constantly asks people to pray for his ministry. He constantly admits that he needs help. He constantly admits that people hurt him. He knows he needs help from God. And he knows he needs help from other people. The Apostle Paul does not waste his time trying to look spiritual. There's a lot of that that goes on in the church in America. It's really, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. You say, you say that all the time. I know. I'll keep saying it until it stops. He doesn't have to try and look spiritual because he is spiritual, because he trusts Jesus and he's real. He knows he needs help. He knows he needs divine help. He knows he needs help from other Christians. And he knows he needs the prayers of other believers. Now, many of us have friends who say they believe, and they really don't. Now, that could be you today. Again, I don't mean to be harsh with you. I'm trying to awaken some of the people who might be here week after week after week have never really put their trust in Jesus. Because most people say they pray. So let me take a moment and analyze the prayer life of most people. Basically, most people's prayer life is this. It's a to-do list for God, right? They break out their list of things that they want God to do. And on their list, there's a few things that they realize they can't do. 
right? God, help me win the lottery, <laughs> right? You know, I probably can't do that on my own. I need God's help for that. But also, there's a list of other things that they just don't want to do. Please, you know I love you. You know I love, that's why I talk so straight to you. If I didn't love you, I would just be like, I just say all things so you like me all the time. You know, I learned from the apostles, there's no way to live. But honestly, a lot of times some of you come to me and you say, would you pray I have more time to read my Bible? God's not going to give you more time. God wants you to use the time that you have. So I won't pray that God gives you more time to read your Bible. I would pray that God would give you a passionate love for Jesus Christ that you couldn't wait to meet with him daily. And I would also pray that he doesn't have to do something drastic in your life to get you to that point. If you recall verses 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul prayer, he prayed for the Philippian church. Remember that? That they would grow in love and knowledge and discernment. So there won't be a bunch of flaky, oh, we just love people, we love people, you know, doing dumb things. But they would love people, knowing the word of God, and figuring out the difference between helping people and enabling people. So what do we have here? Between verse 9 to 11 and what we have here, we have the Bible's responsibility and obligation for Christians to pray for one another. It is an obligation. It is a responsibility. Paul says, I do it for you, and I expect you to do it for me. People say, how can you pray for me? I don't need prayer. I don't need prayer. This guy's an apostle, and he needs prayer. Right? If you don't think that you need prayer, honestly, in all love and respect, you're a phony. You're a phony. Because this is easily just about the most successful Christian that has ever walked the face of the earth. And he's saying, I need your prayer for me. We see this in Jesus himself. The night before he's crucified, what does he do? He prays a beautiful prayer, John 17, for the apostles. He prays for the spiritual strength of the church. And how this notion of being part of a church, how this notion of being obligated and responsible to pray for one another grates against the individuality of the American mind. It absolutely grates against us. That's why when I said I use the word obligation and responsibility, some of you are like, ah, ah. Because as Americans, we hate anything that speaks of obligation, of responsibility. Christian friend, aren't you glad that Jesus Christ sensed the obligation and responsibility to go to the cross for you? And he has every right, if he owns you, the Bible says that a Christian is bought with a price, he has every right to ask, demand, and oblige a Christian anything he wants. And he simply says, I want you to pray for the godliness of one another. Make a list of the people you know in your church, in your community group, in your ministry, and however you know people around here, and say, I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray for their godliness. I want you to pray for their holiness. I want you to pray that they would deeply fall in love with God. We look at the prayer lists of our churches. What do we see mostly prayers for? Sick people. And we should pray for sick people. We see prayers for jobs and we should pray for jobs. But we must pray for others the way the apostle prayed. Look what he prayed in verse 10, that they would be sincere and without offense. That they would be pure and blameless. 
Are we praying for the power of God to be active in one another's lives? Are we praying for people who don't know Jesus to come and know Jesus? Not the cheesy Jesus that's on television. Not the dumb religious Jesus that so many of us grew up with. No wonder we left. He was bogus. But it's not the true Jesus. Are those the things we're praying for? Are we praying for the death of the American dream in the hearts of our children? You know, 30 years ago, they did a poll. And they said to teenagers and young college students, what's your number one ambition in life? Okay, the me generation. 40% said to be rich. Do you know what it is now? 81%. of our young people's biggest goal in life is to be rich. And we live in a society where maybe, maybe 1% will be in our eyes. They want to be rich. They want to be famous. How much disappointment are we breeding in our children? Only a few people will be rich. Only a few people will be famous. I'm not trying to kill that dream, but there are so many bigger things out there that are available to a child of God. The apostle knew that God often moves in response to prayers. I'm reading yet another book of a guy who intrigues me to no end. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I've read so many different, every time somebody comes out a book about him, I got to read it. And he said that prayer rings the bell in the tower of heaven. In other words, when God is waiting to hear the bell of his people wanting something, all of a sudden he hears it and God moves into action. Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, if we want God to move, if we want to, like Steve Jobs says, make a ding in the universe, we have got to ring the bell. We have got to ring the bell of prayer. So our children, our friends, our neighbors, isn't it wonderful when you know people are praying for you? So we can experience the joyful perspective in prayer. And so he knew fully well that the pressure of life would be answered by the precepts of the word of God and met with the prayers of God's people, deeply connected to number three, a joyful perspective in power, in power. So we have the word really, okay? Because that was the answer to our problems. We have the prayers of God's people. And now we have the power of the Spirit. Still in verse 19, he says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and, look at this, supply. Some of your versions say help. Can't stand that use of that word there. Supply is better. And the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, When we were out, I talked with a number of people who told me, I used to go to church, but I felt too guilty. Of course, you know me. I always say, well, are you? And and then I would explain to them that what you have to understand is the difference between a guilt feeling of your conscience and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And then I would assure them that if you come to trust in Jesus, your conviction is designed to lead you to Jesus Christ, that your conviction, once you come under that, once you trust in Jesus, will assure you that once you are a believer, you will get help from the Holy Spirit. Now, you said, you just said you don't like the word help. Why did you use that? Well, because if I'm talking to someone who doesn't believe, the supply of the Spirit sounds dumb, doesn't it? It sounds like weird. 
Like, I'm like, okay, once you believe, God has promised to help you with the things that are grating on you, the sin that you know that you should not be doing. Now, let's be very, very, very careful here, friends. Especially now we're in summer season, barbecues. People go like, so what's up with that church you're, you're going to? Your neighbor's like, uh, you're like, well, how do you know I go to church? Like, you and your family are scurrying out of the house, fighting with one another with Bibles in your hands early in the morning on Sunday. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, we're church people. Okay. We live in the age of spiritual but not religious. How many of you have heard somebody say that before? Oh, first service, almost everybody. You guys are still asleep. Okay. People say I'm spiritual but not religious. Okay. What, what does that mean? That means that our neighbors are shopping, okay, at the divine supermarket. Most of the people in northwest New Jersey were raised with some, if you're the people that are, let's say, over 40, a little different for the under 40 crowd. Actually, people tell me I'm raised with nothing. I'm like, good for you. <laughs> you can learn something now. We don't have to undo so much. But most people were raised who are over, let's say, over 40. Some of you are, some of you aren't. But you were raised with some sort of Christianity. So that's in your shopping cart. Well, now you're at the divine supermarket and you turn down the aisle and you, oh, there's a little bit of that, a little bit of Buddha, a little bit of Hindu, a little bit of Oprah, a little bit of Dr. Phil. You know, you're just pulling stuff off, you know? Wow, that's great, you know? And so you're just mix a little pot and you're really just all, you're just, you got this whole thing going, right? And so that's what we're dealing with. And so we have to realize that when we're talking to people about the Holy Spirit, now, you're like, oh no, God was not ready for this. He didn't see it coming. Write down in your notes, you want to read the book of Judges. It was all over the place. And it's what we call syncretism, which the Jewish people, all of a sudden, they go into the promised land and they're just like, oh, we're Jews. We're definitely Jews. But they're mixing in all the religions of the other places from the divine supermarket. I mean, they probably had to go there. We could order it online. You know, Costco would deliver it or, you know, Amazon or something like that. But they're just, you know, they're shopping at this supermarket. And so what are they doing? They're mixing together various faiths. Now, let me tell you when this has skyrocketed in our country, 9-11. Because what became really hip, if you will, was interfaith movements. And so where various faiths were coming together, and there's nothing wrong with people coming together in a united cause, a united purpose, but when we come to talk about the things of God, that's where we would say we are perhaps a little bit or a lot different in that. Notice here, the Apostle Paul says, it's the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. He's very specific. Not just some spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 9 says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to God. So when someone, what the Bible says, repents and believes, We'll often say it here just to make it a little easier to understand. Turn and trust. Turn to God. Put their trust in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches the third person of the Holy Trinity comes to dwell inside of you. Now, whenever we talk with people about that, we talk about the topic of God. A lot of opinions out there, right? Most complex thing in the world that you need to research more than anything else. Everybody talks out of opinion. That doesn't make much sense, right? It's like, you know, some guy's like, yeah, I think we need to, you know, Cut your stomach open and yank that out. And you're like, really? Where did you study? Uh, you know, have you studied how to be a doctor? No, it's just my opinion. Like, you wouldn't go to that guy. But that's how people talk about God. Then you throw in the Holy Spirit, 
And boy, the debate is just all over the place, even within the church, but most people don't study these things. This is what we have to acknowledge as Christians. When we are in these discussions, we have to say to people, Christianity teaches, the Bible teaches, Jesus and the apostles taught, not our opinions. Well, that concludes the teaching portion of today's broadcast of Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Moores Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Join us next time as Pastor Jim continues teaching through the book of Philippians. You can learn more about Changed by Love and Pastor Jim by visiting our website. The web address is changedbyloveradio.com. Again, the web address is www.changedbyloveradio.com. Changed by Love exists because of the generous donations of our listeners, and we would like to ask all of our listeners who have never written us to preferably consider writing us today and let us know that you are listening to the broadcast. In fact, many of your letters are read to our congregation to encourage them in this ministry. You can write to us at Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Once again, that's Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. You can also give us a call for more information, request resources, or for prayer at 973-659-3380. Once again, that's 973-659-3380. You can also send us an email to info at changedbyloveradio.com. If you are in the Morris County, New Jersey area, we would love to have you visit us. We are located in the center of Morris County on Route 15 South. That's all for today. Until next time, God bless you, and our prayer is that you too would be changed by love.